When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here we go. Jackson over the middle, caught by Hollywood Brown. See you later. Hollywood to the house. Jackson, the spin and toss. Ingram makes a man miss. Diving. Touchdown. Russell Wilson's first pass to Metcalf. And Metcalf had it, lost it, and is picked up by the Ravens. And running in is Marlon Humphrey for the touchdown. There's a second down and three. Jackson takes it himself. Look at him turn back and forth. Oh! He broke his ankles. Now he's got an entourage. And he's got a touchdown. He is Houdini. What a play. 47 yard. Touchdown run by the magical quarterback, Lamar Jackson. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. Playoff pod time. Ravens, big winners, 11-5 in the postseason. It took some time. It had its ups and it had its, had its downs. But the Ravens finishing this bizarre 2020 season on a five-game winning streak to get into the postseason. We are going to talk about the Ravens game, we're going to talk about the other NFL teams, and we are going to preview all the matchups coming up this weekend. I am Antonio Barbera, and I am joined by my equally ecstatic co-hosts, starting off first with Tim Horsey. Tim, it's playoff time. How are you feeling? Oh, incredible. But I have to make an argument that I am the most ecstatic out of the three of us because you are never allowed to mention 2017 again. We're done with the Hail Mary. We're done with getting booted out of the playoffs by the Bengals. I'm done seeing the montage on CBS before the game because the Ravens took the Bengals behind the woodshed and we're going back to the postseason. So I am just, I'm elated today, my friend. They showed that clip in the little uh, introduction to this Sunday's game, and I remember my first thought in seeing that was, oh, I hope I hope Tim didn't see that. I hope he was, like, taking a bathroom break or, like, getting the dip while that clip was playing because that would be not great. And then Tim immediately texts the thread that he was having PTSD from seeing that exact clip. So, in a way, a good way to exercise those Bengals demons this year. Uh, and joining on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, how you doing? I'm doing well, Antonio. Uh... Similar to Tim, probably not as ecstatic because I did not have to sit through that Bengals game back in 2017, but 
you know, any demons that were lingering, I'd argue they were already killed with the Cleveland game the very next year. But, you know, to just hammer the Bengals, leave no doubt, make it very stress-free, when obviously we have seen the Ravens not do stress-free and win in win scenarios in the past, including several times over the years against the Bengals, 2011, 2017, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He just um, brought it up again. <laughs> We said one rule at the top it, of this episode, it Jason. Can't it, was hurt just, us it was anymore, just stated. Tim. It can't hurt us anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, stress-free, a delight. Uh, and the Ravens are playoff bound. And that's all you really, you know, hope for, I think, before the season. Uh, the NFL, arguably the league where the most random team can win the Super Bowl. So you punch your ticket, you have a chance to win the championship. So... You know, hasn't been smooth by any means, but the Ravens are here where they should be, and great close this season, and a very enjoyable Sunday afternoon. And in what has been an absolute staple of the Lamar Jackson era is taking care of business in these winnable games against teams that you should be beating. Do you not only do you win by, you know, three points or seven points, but multiple scores? And in this necessary win against a very bad Bengals team, the Ravens took care of business, and then some. They took care of business in three quarters in this game, uh, ultimately winning 38-3. to We're going to keep the recap of this game relatively short because we have a lot of other things to cover uh, in terms of playoff conversations. But, guys, the first thing we have to talk about in this game, the rushing yards. 404 rushing yards in this game. How did it, how did it go so right, Jace? Oh, it was just... We've talked in several weeks. They've certainly found their footing. And I think this was, they just stuck to a game plan that was working. Uh, they fed the, the the backs, the duo, uh, the duo of J.K. Dobbins, 160 yards. The Gus Bus got his as well. He got 60 yards. We even saw Mark Ingram sighting. Mark Ingram had 39 yards. But I think, despite how good J.K. Dobbins was, and he was sensational in this game, I think really what it comes down to why they had so much success against the Bengals is Lamar Jackson. He was awesome. He had 97 rushing yards. Uh, I thought he had to only have 10 completions. I thought he had quite a good passing day, actually. But he just several times, anytime they faced any significant third down, it seemed like Lamar converted it with his legs. He just, the Bengals, since Lamar has taken over, has largely been completely unable to contain him in any meaningful way and i thought he just was so dynamic uh in this game he crosses a thousand yards for the second straight season no uh quarterbacks ever done that uh i just thought lamar was awesome in this game and as you said he there there doesn't seem to be letdowns against these bad teams and he just went out and he decimated them every scramble that seemed like he got like five yards every single time and he was just not even getting touched a lot of these for like 10-yard scrambles. He was awesome, I thought. So maybe I missed it uh, because you mentioned some individual numbers, but let's go with the total. 404 yards rushing. 404 yards rushing. The Ravens back in our heyday barely got 250 yards total during a game, <laughs> and they ran the ball for 404 yards on, 50, on 54 attempts, averaging just under 7.5 yards per rush. <laughs> Um, I'll give a shout out to Gus Edwards because there, I don't think there is a, I I'll say it. I don't think there is a back in football who I would be more confident in on a third and one. Um, even with bad blocking, the dude just finds a way 
they mentioned it in the broadcast and credit to him. I think he's probably one of the most underrated players in the league. I think at this moment in time, he the way he moves the chains for this team, he might be more valuable than J.K. Dobbins. Although, every, I mean, look, taking nothing away from Dobbins, I just don't think Edwards gets the love that he should. And then, I mean, you nailed it on all, on all the rushing. So I do just have to add um, a little bit of a different lineup with the offensive line. Shout out to... Tristan Colon Castillo, who played 100% of the snaps at center or was involved in every single offensive snap, most of them obviously at center, um, along with Ben Powers, along with Orlando Brown, along with Bradley Bozeman. Those four linemen played every single snap and have become kind of the, you know, we talked about Ben Powers last week or maybe two weeks ago it was. Colon Castillo now, because of Sakura's just the yips, as we've mentioned before, this undrafted rookie has stepped in with Makari's injury, and he played very, very well yesterday. And, and that is something that we'll talk about, obviously, in future. But they're going to need that come playoff time now. And it's very cool to see them kind of really solidifying this core offensive line group up front as well. Uh, you don't want to get ahead of yourself, but shades of the 2012 season when they had a lot of shuffling on that offensive line and then kept changing it until they found the five that they really, really liked. Um, They made the switch by moving, I think it was Bryant McKinney to left tackle, and they put Michael Orr to right tackle, I think they swapped them basically, or they inserted uh, McKinney into the left spot and then moved Orr. And then it clicked, and those five guys clicked, and that's what they that's what they went with, Tim. So I, I love that they have continued to tinker with this offensive line. Obviously, the, you tinker when you have problems, but they have continued to play around with to see who they could get, which five guys they could get um, to, to have be in sync the most with each other, and I think that's really manifested through the running game. With Gus Edwards, undrafted. I, I was looking him up to remember what round he was drafted in. I, I thought he was like a late-round, mid-to-late-round pick, and I was going to mention that as a positive. Not, just undrafted, and now I agree with you, Tim, in, in sort of how vital he is to the run game, and it's just one of those finds, one of those uh, like diamond in the rough finds that the Ravens have, you know, every three years basically. Um, in terms of Lamar, Jace, ten completions. I agree. I would have guessed that he had more than ten, but I mean, manage this game for for the most part. But some really, really nice touch on a couple of deep balls. Some that were caught. Some that were. <laughs> Some that were caught less, let's say. Uh, what did you think of Lamar's passing? Uh, seeing him, you know, have the right timing. I was, I was going to say seeing him connect on a few deep balls, but seeing him hit receivers in stride with some deep balls the week before the playoff push when you know you will need at least one or two of those to, to win a playoff game. Yeah, I think that's the key there, Antonio, is it just him hitting on those and kind of locking in that accuracy, especially on the deep passes, you know, he, he doesn't have to do a ton through the air for this team to succeed. I think that's clear, but you certainly, you know, the Tennessee Titans are a better team than the Cincinnati Bengals. They're not going to rush for 404 yards uh, next week. Uh, JK Dobbins is not going to go absolutely crazy. Uh, He'll probably have a good game. He's not going to do this. So you need you at the very least, you need the threat of Lamar hitting a few of these passes to open things up for you. And I thought in this game, I thought he was really locked in. Um, you know, uh, the touchdown pass to Boykin was just spectacular touch uh, right up the seam. Just perfect, perfect throw. Um, I thought the, the, uh, both of his touchdown passes to Hollywood, I thought were really nice. The one of where, uh, Hollywood kind of made the nice move and was sliding. I thought that was a nice throw. Uh, and then just extending the play, um, 
where he runs right and then throws on the run. Um, yeah, he doesn't. I think this will always be a criticism of Lamar. I think unfairly that people will say, "Oh, look, he only you know he probably only had what like 120 yards in this game." Yeah, 113 through the air. But uh, and that'll always be a criticism of him. But I think if he could just hit these passes, he just opens up so much for the offense. And we saw uh, you know yesterday uh, on Sunday with his, his his 97 rushing yards on only 11 attempts. He's just so dangerous. Uh, with the ball in his hands that you know if he's able to hit these passes they have to respect that that just opens up scrambling lanes for him and then I think running lanes for everyone else so I was very encouraged by it Uh, it's the big point with Lamar because people who want to criticize him are always going to find a way to criticize him and because they want to look at him as a standard quarterback that we've seen for a while and the guy is as Jace put it so eloquently in the text thread he's a unicorn you can't look at him like you look at other NFL quarterbacks And when you do, he only has 10 completions on however many attempts it was, I believe 18 or something like that. So any missed throw, he doesn't have nearly as many opportunities, so you remember the missed throws and you're forgetting all the other stuff he did. In terms of the passing the ball, the deep ball stuff is nice, but it was the touch on these passes, I think, that was the key that we, you know, he kind of struggles with a little bit as I go and criticize him as a normal quarterback. You know, there's a fine line there, obviously. But... I think a lot of not only his play via passing the ball, which we're we're talking about now, but also kind of running the ball and getting those conversions is for me the moment of the game. And it's the bad interception, which is, as Jay said, Marcus Hunt does one thing because he's like six, (laughs) nine. He bats balls. He batted a ball. It turned into another pick in very good field position for the Bengals. Three plays, three yards. Defense does their job. They force a punt and the Ravens, go 17 plays over eight and a half minutes, 93 yards down the field and score a touchdown. And some of the key plays here, it's a lot of running the ball. If you look at the play log, but fourth and three Lamar Jackson short pass, right to Marquise Brown. If you haven't seen that play, you haven't been watching Kansas city because they do the exact same thing with Tyreek Hill. They scramble Mahomes out to the right. They know they have a speedster. They can beat a corner off the edge. He gets to the first down line, and he breaks for the sideline, and it was a perfect play. And Hollywood here, to emphasize this, and this passing game as a whole, you have to give him a ton of credit because the pass that he dropped, he lets it – it's another one of those, I feel like he's not making the effort for it. It's a little behind him, but you think he can stick his hands up and make the grab. Instead, he tries to cradle it down. It doinks off his shoulder pad, and he doesn't make the catch. And he really rebounded well. And after that, I thought had a spectacular game. Became an outlet for Lamar. Uh, you know, didn't he had four, five catches? Excuse me, for forty-one yards, the most catches on the team. And you know that that second touchdown you talked about, Jace. The first touchdown he actually scored on that seventeen-play drive. The second touchdown, it's a great route. You know, he he burns this cornerback, and then it's not the best throw. But guess what? You're not dealing with. Aaron Rodgers back there in terms of accuracy. So you're going to have to make these plays sometimes. And he did. And I thought it was a great redemption. And again, just like the offensive line, as Antonio pointed out, finding their, their momentum at the right time. It seems like these receivers are as well, which is really nice to see. Uh, I want to just raise a Hollywood question while we're on the topic of it. Uh, And I'm reflecting inward as well here. Have we the Ravens fan base, myself included, been too hard on Hollywood Brown this season. You look at his stats, he had more catches than his rookie year. He had more touchdowns than his rookie year. He had more yards than his rookie year. He uh, 
He tied with Mark Andrews for receptions and then led the Ravens in touchdowns and yards. <laughs> I feel like we have such sky-high expectations for him, and I was... I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't mad at him over what I perceived as a drop on that first deep ball Lamar threw to him, but I just, I don't know. Am I judging him unfairly? Is it because he was a first-round pick in a class that also had A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf? Is this what's happening? I don't know. I I feel like he is actually good. He has six touchdowns in the last six games. I just feel like we're so hard on him collectively as a fan base, and I don't know if it's unfair or not. Well, here's the thing, though. Prove us wrong, because he's starting to do that, and he needs to keep doing it, because we saw the workout videos. And look, some of this is on us. I completely understand that. But he's posting all the workout videos, elite wide receiver number one, yada, yada, yada. And then it's the whole soldiers can't get the ball. Like, the one thing Baltimore fans aren't going to tolerate, because we haven't had to deal with a diva wide receiver ever, because we've never had a like elite, elite wide receiver, is the whole... Soldiers need the ball, and then he drops the next 75 balls thrown at him. Like That, that is never going to fly. So, no, I don't – and maybe I'm defending the fans here, but, no, I don't think we've been too hard on him. And you know what? Not that he's reading his own press or anything like that. I don't know how much these guys do it. I'm never going to speculate on how much they do it or not. But if that lit a fire up the you-know-what, then fine. Perfect. It worked because he has stepped, he has stepped up. And you know what? As, and we'll talk about it later – None of this matters if we're talking about a loss next week. None of it matters. So if it, if it keeps coming up in the crucial times where this whole team needs to prove themselves, then I would say he's redeemed himself. But in the moment, have we been too hard on him? Absolutely not. Yeah, Jace, you know, have we been too hard on him? Probably in terms of like human to human, uh, you know, uh, interaction. But in terms of the football, he's a first round draft pick who the expectations are there from the draft grade the expectations are what he has said on himself and to what he's said publicly what he's shown publicly and it's the drops that are worse than not making the spectacular catches that's where I think we start giving him the the criticism as opposed to just well you know it's not a given that you make the one-handed catch or the diving catch or this that and the other but he has had as as Tim would you say 75 Tim yeah drops He's had somewhere between 70 and 80 drops uh, this season in big moments when they were really bad, bad drops. And those stick in your mind more than the sort of routine catches, which he has also made. And he hasn't really had a ton of the super, super spectacular ones that make you forget about some of the drops. So he's just sort of been right down the middle in terms of a wide receiver with those sort of stinging drops that we remember. So... I you know we haven't lost faith in him entirely but if you want to be the number one guy you have to sort of fix the drops and then make some of those really challenging you know contested catches which we have not seen a ton of um let's move defensively now I'll I'll say my one I really have one statement to make about the defensive side of this and then I'll let my co-hosts give their piece but uh, the Ravens defensively pretty much had three and outs on in the entire first half. I mean, it was something unheard of in today's NFL. I think the Bengals went three and out on their first, like, four to five possessions. Then on their sixth possession, or whatever, fifth or sixth, the last one of the first half, they got, like, two or three first downs, and then were in field goal range, and both Tim and Jace leapt on the <laughs> Pod Like a Raven text thread 
and were inconsolable that the defense was now folding and that this game was suddenly going to be more interesting. They gave up a field goal on that drive and then didn't give up any more points for the rest of the game. So I, this is this is the level that Ravens fans have for defensive football in Baltimore. And that's all I'm going to say. Brandon Allen is horrendous. And then that they only gave up three points and essentially pitched a no yards in the first half of this game. But I turn to you now, guys. What did you like of the first, of the first and second half in this Ravens defense? The only thing I will say is, one, we, if you listened to last week or was it two weeks ago, Jace made the fantastic point. Yes, our expectations, you're probably never going to match them because the, it was the 2000 Ravens, the Ray Lewis Red 2000 Ravens. The greatest defense of all time is where I expect. And then the years of the best safety of all time, who wasn't even on that team, then making plays for years in purple and black. So, yes, maybe the expectations are a teensy-weensy too high for this team. But think about the moment. You're dominating. It's 17-0, and it's like our, and it's all this. The commentators are saying it. You're saying it on all your text, friend, or text threads with your friends. It's all the oh, playoffs, baby. We got this. Let's go. And then Brandon Allen storming down the field, and existential dread begins to set in immediately because 2017 happened. I'll bring it up this time. Like (laughs) that is why. So yeah, maybe we're a little too hard on the defense. I thought overall they played very, very well. Um, No sacks again, not great. Uh, But I will say Brandon Allen, when pressured had a 0.0 passer rating. So take that for (laughs) they still got in his face or Brandon Allen just being hot garbage back there at the quarterback position. Um, the, the one for nine on third down, I think is huge. You know, it's, it's a stat that maybe you can't really translate to playing Tennessee because that is a much better football team, but that is, that is going to be when you look at the box score after the game, where it matters, you have to get off the field because it's not only draining in terms of possession and fatigue, but that just wears you down mentally. Not only, I mean, I would assume as a player, I'm just making a giant assumption that I think is correct. That if you can't get off the field on third down, it just mentally wears you out. So I thought that was great from them. And then just for me, you know, Marcus Peters coming back was great. But Anthony Everett, I thought, actually played pretty well. Um, I thought it was hilarious that the commentators made a made a whole spectacle of him <laughs> really stepping up in these last few games. Because we haven't watched a lot of Ravens game film and we need something to say. And look at this guy, 23, who we don't know making plays. And, and the whole, like, he is the guy stepping up in the secondary. Again, a little far-fetched, but I thought he played decently well yesterday as well. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, just to defend myself very briefly, my, my, my fear in the scenario of the, the Bengals' drive there was I was like, Okay, they score here at 17-7. They get the ball on the half, then it's 17-14. I just, it unraveled in my brain instantly. Um, But, luckily, the Ravens defense did largely really step up in this game. As Tim mentioned, and you you mentioned Antonio, by my count, they had six three-and-outs in this game, and also two turnovers, a very nice Marcus Peters interception, where he basically baited the guy, uh, Brandon Allen, into throwing it. Our guy Chuck Clark got a uh, got a rid of the goose egg. Uh, he said uh, post game, I believe, and uh, got a very nice interception late, um, which was you know always fun to see. We love Chuck Clark on this program, um, but I will say I think going against the Bengals and especially well, and just you know obviously when you 
four six three and outs that helps lead to four hundred yards when you're just they Ravens had over forty minutes of possession in this game, so <laughs> uh, that it all helped fuel uh, one. You know, you can't have one without the other. So I guess we have to credit the defense in some ways for this monster rushing game for just constantly giving the Ravens offense the ball. But I will say, especially just to circle back to seventeen to three, why they kicked the field goal, which Adam Archuleta said, I don't know what a field goal does for you in this game. And he was right. Uh, completely baffling decision. The Bengals made a number of very strange calls in this game. They're a very bad team. Uh, but that field goal in particular, I thought was just indefensible. You have the ball on fourth and one, basically from the Ravens 20 yard line, and you kick a field goal to cut it to 17 to three when you've done almost nothing on defense. You hadn't forced a punt to that point in the game. Uh, you, you had one turnover, otherwise the Ravens had 17 points, points on all their other three drives. To settle for a field goal for that, and then to challenge later in the game when you're down 38-3, to a ball that would have, you know, a, a call that would have changed 10, point, or 10 yards, rather, a field position on a punt. I think Zach Taylor's just a horrible coach, and the Bengals are a very bad team, so... I thank them for making this kind of an easy walk in the park and Zach Taylor specifically. I thought uh, going for the field goal there was an ultimate surrender. If you want to win the game, you go for it on fourth and one, but I digress. Uh, It certainly made the Ravens day a little easier, so I can't be too bad at him, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. Some baffling calls, Jace. They punted the Bengals did on fourth and seven from the Baltimore 44 yard line down 10. (laughs) They then kicked the field goal down 17 on fourth and one. They then however need to challenge a 10 yard difference in field position when the score is 38 to three in the fourth quarter. So I don't, it seemed like they were trying to lose, trying to win, trying to lose it, Very confusing. Uh, and I, I would have to agree with you that it's incompetency uh, at the, at the head coaching spot. <laughs> I want to say 30 seconds on Marcus Peters because I, I'm starting to think that he plays on a different level than most of the other players on the field where when he decides to, intercept a pass he's going to intercept a pass if he's trying really hard he was just annoyed that he was called for pass interference on the play before didn't think it was pass interference and then reacted by just absolutely goading brandon allen into that goal line pass where he intercepted he had like five seconds to get under the ball and intercept it even though it was only a five yard (laughs) pass so thank goodness we have peters back in the lineup for this playoff run because as we talked about last week he is really the only guy on this team that's going to intercept a ball of, of consequence, let's say. So good to have him back on the field and healthy for this playoff push. Um, we're going to move off of this game now and go to the NFL. We're going to recap some of the bigger playoff contending games of the weekend. And the first one we have to talk about is the AFC North matchup where the Browns tried their absolute hardest to not go to the postseason this year in their two-point win against the Mason Rudolph-led Pittsburgh Steelers. We talked last week when it seemed still that Roethlisberger was set to start. We talked about a seven-point Browns line being ridiculous. Uh, that line ended up moving to 10 when Mason Rudolph starts, uh, was given the start. And I still thought it was an absurd line, and I was right, because the Browns are not that good. They almost choked. They almost blew it save for a failed two-point conversion that would have tied the game. So thoughts, guys, on the Cleveland Browns and the Steelers, I suppose, as they both head into the postseason. 
I just, I don't understand how the Browns have such a good running game and yet always let teams back into these games. You know, you look at the stats and Nick Chubb has 14 carries for 108 yards. And you look and at one point in this game, the Cleveland Browns are up 24 to 9. Why is this game ever close? They're up 24-9 in the fourth quarter. You have a dominating run game with, argue, you know, I think Nick Chubb's one of the five best running backs easily in the NFL right now. Uh, and I just don't know, you know, a lot of their games are on at the exact same time. So when you watch them, you're watching highlights and catching up. So I will admit I'm not just staring at every Browns down. I was pretty keyed in on the Ravens game, obviously, in this one uh, live, but... I just, it doesn't make sense how a team with a running game that stout just lets these teams just back in these games and are always playing close games. They should be able to bleed the clock. As for the Steelers, they still can't run the ball. Uh, I, I'm i a little sad they didn't pull off the comeback. It would have been super funny if Mason Rudolph knocked the Browns out of the playoffs, but we can't have everything. And now we actually uh, have a Browns-Steelers uh, playoff game. So that's also, I'm, I'm cool with that. One meaning one of those, one of our division rivals is eliminated after next week. That's okay with me. So, you know, it would have been funnier. I think if the Browns just got outright eliminated, but, uh, I, I don't think they're long for the playoffs even, uh, you know, if you're letting Mason Rudolph back, I have a little more faith in Ben Roethlisberger just winning the game outright. <laughs> the Browns are the Browns. Like, they're, they're, like I'm looking at this play sheet, right? Jace, that you're talking about. They go up 24 to 9. Then they just let Mason Rudolph march down the field. 13 plays, 75 yards, matriculating down the field for six. That's 24 to 16. Then the Browns have a 10 play drive where they pass the ball or attempt to pass the ball six times. Two of those times, Baker Mayfield scrambles out of the pocket, and one of them on third and three get sacked for minus four yards to make it a fourth and seven, which they go for to try and end the game with another pass attempt that ends up failing. Then there's the touchdown. Obviously they don't uh, for the Steelers. They don't get the two point conversion. Yada, yada, yada. There's all that. They will. There is no reason to fear Cleveland, even after the incredibly dramatic game um, on Monday night that the Ravens won because they will continue to shoot themselves in the foot with this stupid play calling. It's, it's like all the times that we give Greg Roman crap, and honestly, even a little bit at the beginning, the Bengals game. Now, I wasn't crazy enough to even put it in our text group, but I was thinking it a little bit, where it's like first down and then second down, and it's two straight incomplete passes, and it's like, what are we doing here? Like, I know it's not as simple as we think it is, but sometimes it's like just run the ball and get those five yards to set up a, a third and short or a second and short, whatever it is, because you know you can get it because you are so dominant at this one particular thing. And I understand you got to vary stuff up. But in key moments, Stefanski, I guess he's in all of Baker Mayfield's commercials. And he's like, well, we're literally in his house right now. So I have to respect his home and let him <laughs> throw the ball around. It makes absolutely no sense. And that's why you shouldn't fear him. Now, the Steelers, all that being said, the Browns are a talented football team and Mason Rudolph almost beat them. So... What does that say about Pittsburgh without missing a couple key guys? Obviously, Ben Roethlisberger not playing. I mean, the biggest point, as Jay said, regardless of what happens to us, we're going to get to laugh at them, one of these teams, because one of them is going to lose in spectacular fashion. We know that's going to happen. It's going to be to a rival who you dislike. 
and it happens after our game. So if you want to add on to the celebration or if you just really, really want to just have some sort of semblance of hope and joy, you can watch one of these two teams blow their playoff hopes on Sunday night. Elsewhere in the AFC, the needing to win Miami Dolphins, who we were sort of unsure of how they were going to handle the Bills, who was going to play for the Bills, get absolutely blown out 56 to 26 uh let's call them a scrappy 10 and 6 Dolphins team that was really relying on their defense and special teams and then getting either just enough from Tua or a miracle here and there from Ryan Fitzpatrick the defense falls flat against one of the best teams if not well let's say one of the best teams in the AFC in Buffalo Miami out of the postseason and out of the south the Tennessee Titans trying also to miss out on the postseason win a three-point squeaker against the Houston Texans uh I was I was a little bit invested in this game so I was watching the last let's say four to six minutes with some trepidation but I'll turn to you guys first if you were watching it on uh how Tennessee looked in a game where Derrick Henry rushed for 250 yards (laughs) and yet they still needed I mean, a Hail Mary late in a tie game to uh, to squeak this one out. Well, just on that, and I, I kind of want to save most of my thoughts for when we preview the game, but you got to beat that defense. I mean, that's the big thing. Um, I just I want to say quickly, and not to d- completely derail your question and ignore you because you do a great job hosting this podcast. Thank you. Antonio, you're welcome. Thank you. I love what the Bills did. Um, and call it hindsight 2020. Uh, after the Ravens rested all their guys, although they had nothing to play for. The Bills technically had something to play for. They knew Roethlisberger wasn't playing. Um, and, and if you don't know, I should explain it. The Bills needed to win to guarantee the two seed. If they if they had lost and Pittsburgh had won, they would drop down to the three, the goal being avoiding Kansas City as long as possible. So the two seed is is pretty key. And then the whole... Apparently, New York is now safe enough to have some fans, but that's a whole, an entirely different discussion. Shout out, Bills Mafia. I love that they said, you know what? We are going to demoralize a division opponent, kill their playoff hopes, and continue this momentum because we have been playing so incredibly hot for the last couple of weeks. I mean, you look at the teams they've beaten right now. You know, they lost to the Cardinals, it feels like a year ago. Beat the Chargers, then the Niners, then the Steelers, whoop up on the Steelers, and then 48 to 19 over the Broncos, 38 to 9 over the Pats, 56 to 26 over the Dolphins. They are coming in hot. And there's talk about the nobody believes in us team, and there's talk about, you know, being too confident going into the playoffs. But I think that's the exact right mentality. Go in there, stomp the guy in front of you, and get ready for January football. So just, I love how the Bills approach that. I really do. The uh, the Titans-Texans game was incredibly strange, the ending. Uh, I Every game with the Texans is very weird. I feel like they screwed the Ravens personally like four different times down the stretch. Both times they managed to lose to the Colts uh, when that would have helped the Ravens gain playoff positioning by fumbling inside their own five. Uh, and then this game, just allowing <laughs> Hail Mary, you know... The Colts win earlier in the day. The Titans lose this game. I believe they're out of the playoffs, right? Uh, um, so, 
that would have been nice to not face the Titans in the playoffs, <laughs> just personally. Uh, I would have much rather the Ravens be playing the Colts this week, the team they already beat in Indianapolis. I will say, I think because the Colts won, I think the Titans would have bumped down to seven. But you're right. We oh, okay. Have, they, yeah, they we would have, have been the, playing them. Yeah, the, Dolphin, the Dolphins loss ensured they made the playoffs still. Right. But yeah, they wouldn't have. We the Ravens wouldn't have been playing them. So that would have been nice. But yeah, the ending of this game was so strange. You know, there's three scores in the final minute. Uh, Deshaun Watson is spectacular and actually led the NFL in passing yards this year uh, for a team that went 4-12 and and just turned the number three overall pick uh, over to the Miami Dolphins thanks to the Laramie Tunsil trade in 2019. So things are bleak in Houston. <laughs> um, and this game, I think, was a perfect encapsulation of how weird their season's been. Uh, the Titans defense is bad and Deshaun Watson's really good. So he obviously made some plays. They come storming back to take the lead after falling in a big deficit, uh, in this one. But, uh, yeah, they just completely blow the coverage and let Tannehill complete like a 50 yard pass essentially to AJ Brown, set up the winning field goal that then doinked in. And that is why the Ravens are now playing the Titans this weekend. (laughs) So, um, could have gone to overtime. Uh, but no, we get the doinked in field goal at the buzzer, uh, from Sam Sloman because Steven Gostowski was on the COVID list, not even their normal field goal kicker. It was a very, a very strange series of events. Didn't exactly leave me pleased, but, uh, yeah, the Titans are your AFC South champs and Derek Henry. We should say congrats to him. As we said, we love on this program before. I enjoy watching him. I believe Tim also enjoys watching him when he's not playing the Ravens. Right. Uh, I mean, I enjoy him every other week, but this week, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The eighth uh, 2,000-yard rushing season in NFL history. So that's pretty impressive. I will never understand NFL defenses in situations where the only thing that beats them (laughs) is a 40-yard completion. We see it over and over again where they just play their, like, regular two-deep, coverage one of the safeties bites on like an underneath route i i just i do not understand how it's possible uh on that play is it it's aj brown right who catches the deep the late deep ball just single coverage he's just running right down the seam and nary (laughs) should anyone help when that's the only throw that tennessee can make to have any chance of kicking a field goal in that game i don't get it and now the Ravens have to go against that Titans team for the third time in two years. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> I want to turn uh, to the NFC and my punniest pun, the NFC least, which I'm sure has been used all over the country. But NFC East. Uh, <laughs> I said last week that if the Cowboys could win and then have uh, Washington lose, they would go to the playoffs, win the East, and I would have my uh, Cowboys brother-in-law, Cowboys fan, my brother-in-law, come on and give a few minutes, but uh, neither of those things happened, so shout out Steven, but uh, we'll see you next year, Um, because the Cowboys could not take care of business, could not complete a pass for a long time in that Giants game, and then Washington, uh, doing just enough, literally just enough, to win a trying-to-tank Eagles team. Uh, So I turn to you guys with what you saw, what you liked, what you didn't like out of that disastrous ending to a horrible NFC East. Well, Chase, I'll just go quickly because I know we both have football team fans in our lives, but I feel like you have a little more coming from the great city of Frederick. There's no other way this could have ended, right? Where <laughs> Wayne Gallman definitely didn't have possession. It's sitting there on his um, man parts 
and he's basically just squatting on the ball and that's that's not possession he doesn't have any hold of it whatsoever and it is taken from him but that does not give the they rule they look at it they say he's down (laughs) and then they confirm it on the video replay which was insane and then the giants are gifted this thing they're like great you know what this is a blessing in disguise all we need is for jalen hurts this Rookie who seems to have a future in the NFL. He seems to be playing pretty well, certainly better than Tua, by the way. And then they bench him to tank because apparently now they have the sixth pick overall when they would have been the 10th or 11th or something like that. I just, I'm not going to sit here and break down the NFC least because I like want people to actually listen to this podcast, but there's no way that it would have ended any other way than how it did. So as you say, Antonio, the NFC least for certain. It it was really incredible Sunday night. Like like everyone realizing what Doug Peterson was doing in real time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it was just... I I don't know that I've... Like everyone jokes about like, oh, the team's ta- like tanking for... But like this was actually like a coach is like... I'm going to do everything I can to lose this game. At least that's certainly what it looked like. Because he goes for it on fourth down uh, uh, near the goal line of a tie game. Or, no, he's down three. So he kicks, like, a 20-yard field goal, and it's a tie game. Goes for it on fourth, and you say, okay, well, he's trying to win. (laughs) I I was like, I get it. Last game of the year, no one wants to end in a tie or whatever. Uh, But, no, he... uh, then comes out the Eagles' next series. Nate Sudfeld, a former Indiana great, is in, uh, who's apparently been around the Eagles since 2017 and is, in fact, older than Jalen Hurts. And uh, Doug Peterson says after the game that uh, he made the move because he was coaching to win and that the decision to replace Jalen Hurts with Nate Sudfeld was solely his. And he basically said he felt like uh, Nate's been around and he wanted to give him some snaps was his justification. <laughs> Despite the fact that he's older than Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz not playing in this game. You know, you think like if you want to evaluate anyone, it would be the the rookie quarterback playing in a three-point game in the fourth quarter. Like essentially a playoff game. I know the Eagles have been eliminated, but it's win and in for Washington. As bad as Washington is, it's win and in. And Alex Smith tried to give that game away. He threw picks in the third quarter. He threw a pick in the fourth quarter. They were not impressive. They weren't, I mean, they're seven and nine team. They weren't impressive all season, really. Their defense is good. Chase Young had another fumble recovery. Uh, but yeah, they, I mean, I've never seen a coach just hand the team the win like Doug Peterson handed Washington the win last night. And now, yeah, the Washington football team, the team without a name, is uh, the NFC East champs for the first time in five years. I mean, incredible story on their part. Alex Smith's comeback, Ron Rivera battling cancer and leading this team to a division title. Uh, you know, just the resiliency is really impressive. And um, it seems like they have uh, – I, I actually think Washington is closer to real contention than they have been in a long time, especially with that defense, if they can get – just the offensive line and a quarterback situation ironed out. But yeah, I think the story has got to be more just as Tim said, the only way it could have ended with Doug Peterson literally tanking mid game. I just have never seen anything quite like that before. It looked like the Eagles offensive players also just gave up when Sudfeld went into the game too. (laughs) Kelsey had a horrible snap that he also snapped at like 80 miles an hour at Sudfeld's ankles like on the third snap that Sudfeld was in for 
It seemed like the tackles were just letting the rushers go, weren't even really trying to block them and just letting them go clear. The receivers weren't running. He was throwing like three-yard outs, and they have 40 seconds left, and they have to go 80 yards. It was very, very confusing and strange. And not what you want in, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a competitive NFL. Yeah, so you I'm, got a, uh, a, a, a what was that from Al Michaels on third down late in the game, <laughs> which is not what you want. Uh, oh, I, I, I love uh, Grumpy, Grumpy Al Michaels. But all right, let's uh, we're going to do the random Raven now. And then after that, we will pivot to the playoff matchups coming up. So, Tim, you are up this week. So uh, who do you have for us? This one. I almost want to say he's been referenced as a possible random Raven guest before. Um, this, I think, again, this is one of those ones where we're kind of diving into. I think both of you will get this incredibly early, but maybe the listener will forget about this player because he had a prominent run in Baltimore. But we'll start. Clue number one. This four-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and two-time Super Bowl champion played for three teams in his career. Number two, he was drafted in the first round of the 1997 draft out of Clemson, but played for the Ravens from 2006 to 2010. Oh, no. Clue number three. You'll get there. Trust me. Honestly, I thought you guys would have had it by now, but that's I think I I think I do. It's probably just hindsight bias looking from this way rather than trying to guess it clue number three he is one of the players rex ryan brought to the jets from baltimore he spent one season in new york and that was 2010 before deciding to retire so to reiterate he didn't join rex immediately rex went in 2009 he joined the following season only spent a year there clue number four his best season with the ravens was his first year where he registered 46 tackles forced two fumbles and had 13 sacks. He totaled 91 sacks in his career. And I see, I think Jay still little has grin. it. Uh, a little grin from me. Antonio definitely has here. it. Antonio definitely has it. Jace almost looks more confused by that, but I still think he'll get it. <laughs> Clue number five, Cornell Brown, Rob Burnett, Zadarius Smith, and now Pernell McPhee are the only Ravens to wear the same number as this player. The Can you other... say those names again, Tim? Sorry, the first two names before Pernell. Cornell Brown, Rob Burnett, Zadarius Smith, and Pernell McPhee are the only Ravens to wear the same number as, as this player. And at addendum, the team that he was more famous for playing for, he wore a different number to kind of, you know, if that, if that needs to help people out as well. I feel pretty good about it. I think Jace does as well. But this is a great, he's like right in that sweet spot of random Ravens. And between, was dominant. Uh, and was yeah. dominant. Uh, so, all right, well, yeah, we will have Tim recap those clues at the end. This is a perfect listener, Random Raven. So for you guys uh, out there listening, this is the one that if you want to, if you think you know, uh, Raven's roster, Ra- Raven's Ravens randos uh, who started and, and did some stuff while on the roster, not those like, you know, player 51, 52, or 53 on the roster. Uh, this is the one for, for you to get. So we'll have Tim answer that at the end of the episode, but for now... We are going to turn to the fun part of the episode. This is the playoff matchups, not the Ravens game. Tim Tim got very concerned because yeah, it's not fun to talk about the Ravens versus Titans game 
because that'll be a, a difficult conversation. But before that, we're going to talk about the other matchups that are coming up this Saturday and Sunday. And we'll start with the AFC. I'm going to name the two games, and then I'll have you guys give a couple of quick hits, quick thoughts on those two games, things you like, things you're going to be watching for, and uh, maybe a team that you're either rooting for or leaning to, to who you think will win this game. So, first of all, Colts traveling to play those aforementioned dominant Buffalo Bills the last few weeks. Bills are seven-point favorites in that game. And then the maybe the more fun one is the Browns having to flip the script. The Browns go to Pittsburgh to face the Steelers with not Mason Rudolph, at quarterback, but two-time Super Bowl champ Ben Roethlisberger. The Steelers only four-point favorites in that game. I'm going to say this pretty quickly. I will be picking the Steelers in the gambling section later this episode because four does not seem right to me based on what we just saw in a Browns game where they absolutely needed to win and the Steelers could kind of care less. And now the game's in Pittsburgh. So I I turn to you guys now. What do you like from these two games? What are you going to be looking out for? Colts-Bills is a fantastic game for a wild card weekend. You know, it's a 13-3 and team versus 11-5 and team. Colts uh, just coming off a game where Jonathan Taylor set the franchise record for rushing yards, albeit a game against the Jaguars, but uh, he hit uh, he hit over 250 yards, single-game record for the Colts. Um, so that's a very, very good game uh, to start. And I, I think the Bills are really legit. Tim ran through how hot they've been. They've just been hammering teams. But the Colts, I think, are really good. They have weird lapses. So I still think the Colts, or I still think the Bills will win, but I think that could be a close game and a great game to open the uh, what the NFL's dubbing Super Wild Card Weekend this weekend. Um, but, uh, yeah, Steelers-Browns. Somehow they showed a montage during, I don't know if it was Sunday Night Football or during the, the Browns-Steelers game, but the last uh, two times the, St- the Browns have made the playoffs, the Steelers are the team that ousted them both times. And I think it would be just so funny for that to continue. Uh, Cleveland's just celebrating their first playoff berth in 18 years. 18 years! They hadn't made the playoffs since 2002. Uh, and if they just lose to the Steelers again, that would be so, so funny to me. <laughs> so uh, I think I, and then the inverse, if the Steelers lose to the Browns in the playoffs, that's super funny to me. So I don't really think personally I have a loser in this game. Um, I've, I think, as Tim said, uh, depending on what mood you're in, I think Sunday night's game's really going to help it. And this is the game that closes the weekend. So that should be, <laughs> should be an interesting matchup. I I'm leaning Antonio's direction. I think the Steelers beat them once again, but we shall see. It'll be definitely interesting. Yeah, I mean, you kind of nailed it, Jace. The Bills are almost that team that are too hot. You know, I kind of mentioned it before, but you're almost a little nervous because I've seen a lot of the Colts, like the Colts are really stepping up. The Colts are playing well, and I understand that, but I still have this image of them really kind of being piss poor against the Ravens when we played them. And the Ravens not being at their best and winning that game. So, for me, I look at that. I'm like, oh, the Bills are going to steamroll them. But who knows? I mean, I, I'm. It's a, again. I'm glad there's a lot of good football on surrounding our hopefully good football because that's the one that's just going to stress me out completely, and I'm not going to enjoy it whatsoever. So at least I get the, you know, slightly enjoy the other five games. Um, Brown Steelers. You said it. I said it before. It's just funny. It's just going to be funny. <laughs> Whatever happens is going to be funny because 
if one of them ends up dominating, then it'll be, oh, this might be the team to beat, and then they'll get stomped the following week. <laughs> like, it'll just overall be funny, whatever happens. And I'm so happy, again, that it's the last game. We're going to be fighting the Sunday scaries or trying to just continue our celebrations of Ravens, Titans, whatever happens there. Um, yeah, but for me, it's it'll be the perfect kind of encapsulation and the entire weekend there. And then in the NFC, Tampa Bay, they get the winning lottery ticket of playing the 7-9 and nine football team, Washington football team, Tampa Bay, eight-point favorites in that game on the road, which makes sense. Tampa Bay looks have, have looked pretty strong offensively, starting to have some things click there in the last few weeks. Uh, Bears <laughs> lose to the Green Bay Packers, get crushed by the Packers, and then still make it to the postseason at 8-8. Eight and eight. Boy, the AFC better win the Super Bowl this year because if ever there was a time, it's this year. The, the NFC is so weak, in my opinion. But Bears at 8-8, eight and eight, they will travel to New Orleans to play the Saints. Saints 9.5-point favorites in that one. In a season where home field hasn't really mattered, it says something that Washington is less of an underdog than the Bears are to the Saints. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. And then the third NFC game, the L.A. Rams traveling to Seattle to play the Seahawks. Seahawks who have confused me for weeks now. I don't know if they're good, <laughs> mediocre, or bad. It seems they go three-quarters without being able to score. They're four-and-a-half-point favorites at home hosting the Rams. Guys, I turn to you. Which of these games do you enjoy the most? What's a tidbit that you're going to be watching for in these three games? Uh, I think the game I'm looking forward to the most strangely is actually uh, Tampa Bay versus the football team. Uh, just because, you know, if if anything Tom Brady has done can be quiet, he did somehow throw 40 touchdowns. Only the second time Tom Brady's thrown 40 touchdowns in a season, and he did it at 43 years old. So, I don't know. Hats off to him. That's pretty crazy. But, if you know, do I have dreams of Chase Young and Montez Sweat? sacking him and causing a 43 year old man problems in the passing game i can dream mike evans banged up after that game so i'm interested in that one i absolutely cannot believe the chicago bears are in the playoffs what a disgrace that team is they are are so bad i can't believe mitch trubisky's made the playoffs two of the last three years i don't understand how they made the play it doesn't you just you sailed it said it perfectly antonio the nfc's just bad that's the How's the Chicago eight and eight? The Chicago's the first team to have a six game losing streak and make the playoffs during the same season. This team lost six straight games at one point and they're in the playoffs. It doesn't make any sense. But I enjoy I enjoy Jace being more upset at the eight and eight Bears in the playoffs than seven and nine Washington. But please, yeah. please yeah, keep you going. You win Jace. your division, you can't help if every team in your division's bad. But I don't know the Bears. I think the Bears are truly a horrible team, and I cannot believe that they're not going to blow anything up because they made the playoffs after this year. But, uh, I mean, I guess the Rams-Seahawks game probably is actually, the on paper, the actual most interesting just because we have I have no idea what to expect from the Rams. I think the Rams are a very talented team with a giant question mark at quarterback, and that's even more so now that, you know, are you playing John Walford in his second start, uh, former uh, AAF, remember that league? He used to play in it, uh, quarterback who went to Wake Forest uh, versus, you know, uh, Jared Goff, who 
wasn't great and then is has a dislocated had surgery because he dislocated his thumb and popped it back into place i don't know so i don't know what to expect of them the rams statistically had the best defense of the nfl this year uh and then you said the seahawks they strangely just somehow underwent a transformation where they were like this great offensive team with they were on pace for at one point one of the worst defenses of all time and then their defense has been really solid the last several weeks, and they don't seem to score that much. So I don't know what's going on with them and what changed. I guess it's it might just be as simple as they got Jamal Adams back healthy and he's really good. But, um, yeah, so that game will be weird. They Rams and Seahawks are always close. These teams just played two weeks ago, and the score was final score was 20-9. to uh, And that was the game Jared Goff dislocated his thumb in in Seattle. Um, so I... I have no idea what to expect. So <laughs> that 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 game's a giant question mark for me. But uh, yeah, it definitely is the most intriguing on paper, I'd say, because it's just the most wide open. I was going to say, as much as we talked about kind of how great these matchups are and don't really know what to expect from either of these teams, I have no idea what to expect from Bears, Saints, or Rams, Seahawks. Like, Khalil Mack could just have a day. And remember, Drew Brees, 11 broken ribs, and it could turn into something <laughs> weird. It could get weird. I'm, I'm still taking the Saints in that game, but, I, you know, straight up. But Mitch Trubisky's involved, and the Saints and Taysom Hill, like, it's, it's going to be a weird football game, just in general. Rams, Seahawks, who knows? There's not a ton to say until we figure out who the quarterback is. But Johnny Wolfert, if I'm pronouncing that right, might be just as good, if not better, than Jared Goff right now. And, Jason, I'm just going to echo it. Remember when the Giants won two Super Bowls off of a front four against the New England Patriots? Front four? Get after the pass rusher – or get after the passer, excuse me. If there's one thing the football team can do, it's get, it's rush with four. I'll leave it there. I enjoy how when discussing Bears-Saints – when you say the phrase Trubisky's involved, the thought is, oh no, bears. Oh no, poor. <laughs> That's just a straight negative for Chicago to have to try to win a game. As for the Tampa Bay, Washington, I mean, it's so that Tim, you're so right about the front four being such a strong comparison to the giants teams, but oh boy, can Washington score? Can they move the ball consistently in a, in a playoff game? That's going to be so tough for them. Um, I think those eight points are uh, are pretty tasty for for Tampa Bay, but the Mike Evans injury is also so that that's something to keep in mind. Even if he does play, he has sort of grinded it out through injuries in multiple games this year, but he hasn't really been the same guy. He had a few of those like one yard touchdown catches <laughs> in games where he was really beat up, and then had no catches for the entire rest of the game. So we'll see how healthy he is in time for that game, but. Some bizarre matchups in the NFC for sure. Um, we're going to come back to those matchups when we get to the gambling section, but I want to turn now to the what is the final matchup Ooh. of the NFL's wild, what is it, crazy wild card, uh, super, super wild card? Super wild card weekend. Wet, wet and wild it. card weekend. <laughs> the Ravens, three and a half point favorites. Uh, I hate at that. The Tennessee Titans. Why, why, why? It could have been I, so I, good, Antonio. We could have been three-point underdogs. <laughs> at, at best, at best, this line should have been even. I have no understanding as to why it's Ravens by three and a half, considering that the Titans, first of all, beat them this season, beat them in Baltimore. 
The Ravens have yet to really, for 60 minutes, stop Derrick Henry. So there's some question marks, but let's get let's go to the top of this game first of all. Tim Tim is looking half uh, concerned, half like he stuck his hand in an electric socket. So I'll turn to you first, Tim. Uh, first impressions of this Ravens playoff rematch against the Titans this year in Tennessee. I hate everything about it. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. There's nothing. I couldn't hate it more. I would have rather played Cleveland or Pittsburgh or those division games where it, like, it grinds at you rather than this stupid team that is way too cocky for never doing anything. It makes absolutely no sense dancing on the field before the game, and it's just those little things. And the thing that's the worst part about it you can't say anything because the Ravens can't back it up. They're, the last time it was in Baltimore, they're sitting dancing on the midfield stripe, and nobody gets pissed about it. And they lose 30-24 to 24 in overtime, letting D-Train run for 133 yards on 28 carries. There's, I, I just can't believe that this is how this happened. And maybe I'm taking the negative angle because it's Monday, and by the time we get to Sunday, or excuse me, it's Monday as we record this, I should say. I'll fire myself back up. My initial, after getting the emotion out of it, which, you know, takes me a while, I understand. The initial thing for me instantly is the offense has to win this game. I think unabashedly, the Tennessee defense is not good. They are even worse at defending the pass than they are the run, which is annoying. I wish it was the other way around. The offense has to win this football game and dominate on that side of the ball for the Ravens to have any chance. I'm not just talking about time of possession. I'm not just talking about long drives to get the ball out of Ryan Tannehill's hand. I'm talking about scoring points when it matters. I'm talking about seven points in the red zone. I'm talking about fourth and three from the 40, and you go for it, and you run it down their throat to continue a drive and then punch it in for six later. I'm talking about big plays. I'm talking about no stupid interceptions or bad fumbles or the jitters or the yips, Matt Sakura, or any of that. The offense has to win this football game for the Ravens to be playing after Sunday. I think you nailed it, Tim. We've seen that in past contests against the Titans the last two years. They did not, if we'll recall, this Ravens team had almost no problem moving the ball in the playoff game against the Titans but they scored 12 points. They, in the first matchup, they settle for Justin Tucker field goals of 27 yards, 30 yards, and 29 yards right at the end of the game when they weren't able to get in the end zone. We love Justin Tucker. We love Justin Tucker field goals. We like seven points more because they're worth more. And that's what you need against this Titans team. Uh, You said it like... I mean, you need you need points, and that's part of what they failed to do. They failed, you know, in the game against the Titans this year, they have an 11-point lead at one point in this game against the Titans. And they are just not able to put it away in the third quarter. They take an 11-point lead, and they're not able to put it away. And that's what they need to do. They need to finish. They need to finish drives. They need to finish series. And they need to finish the game. Um, and... You know, when the critical moments, like you said, like, again, reflecting back to the playoff game, you have the two fourth down stops. You can't turn the ball over. I believe Lamar did twice that game. He threw a bad pick in the regular season game against the Titans that took points off the board when they could have really put the game away uh, or at least gotten closer to it. So you have to be careful with the ball. Titans are pretty good in the takeaway differential department. Pretty sure they're number one uh, in that category. But... (sighs) 
Yeah. You need points. I will say it can't hurt to try to just keep the ball away from Ryan Tannehill. I'm not as concerned about him as much as I am Derrick Henry. Uh, but mainly just getting points, and the more points you get, I think that mitigates what Derrick Henry can do to you. Because he's going to hurt. But you just you can't let him hurt you as much as he has the last two years. Well, the, the, thing is, the thing that's so frustrating, too, is both of these teams win the same way. Down 17 late in the third quarter, neither of these two teams is coming back to win a football game. It's just not happening. As much as we can sit next to each other on a couch on Sunday and I'll tell you it's going to happen, it ain't going to happen. Like, it, that's, they're not built this way. So, and Vrabel understands this. I know Harbaugh understands this. You have to get off to a fast start. By the way, we should mention it so we don't get screamed at by people. Yeah, hold on to the football, too. Maybe no drops. No Seth Roberts plays. No ridiculous Mark Andrews yips game in a massive moment. Like, none of that crap can happen because we all remember what happened last January that I don't feel like I need to bring it up again in much detail. But let's kind of transition this to the offensive side of the football or the defensive side for the Ravens, I should say. If you get a fast start on offense, it limits Derrick Henry. And guess what? The guy is dominant. The guy is effective. The guy is fun to watch as a neutral. All those things. But in the games they lose, here, and this comes from Dev Panchwag, and I apologize if I butchered his name. He's like a Ravens scouting guy that you can follow on Twitter. He put up this, this list today. The games that in, uh, Tennessee lost, they lost to Pittsburgh. They trailed the entire game. Henry had 75 yards. They lost to Cincinnati. They trailed all game. Derrick Henry had 112 yards. They lost to Indianapolis. They trailed late in that game. He had 103 yards. The loss to Cleveland, they trailed all game. He only had 60 yards. The loss to Green Bay, they trailed all game. He only had 98 yards. You don't make him less effective by just playing super stout defense. You make him less effective by literally taking the ball out of his hands because you're up two scores early. I mean, yeah. I, I agree with all of this. I feel like the number for Henry is like 150. If he has less than 150 yards, the Ravens are probably in position to win this game, which is such an absurd number to set. When I mean, it's like you know, he's the best running back in the league. He's rushed for 2,000 yards. That's the that's the standard. I, I I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. That's my one sort of thing about this line being minus three and a half, not necessarily scaring me, because if I think the Ravens are going to win. I think they're going to win by a touchdown. I think they're going to win by 7 to 10 points because if they win, that means that it's been a game where they set the tempo early, rushed for 200 yards as a team, held onto the ball forever, uh, and and turned field goals into touchdowns as, as they've been able to do in, in games where they've executed. My other uh, little anecdote to throw out in this game is I pulled up quickly the turnover differential numbers in the NFL this season of the top 12 NFL teams in turnover differential, 11 of them, uh, let me make sure I'm doing this, 11 of them are in the postseason. So that should tell you how important turnover differential is to your success over the course of 16 games. The Ravens are 12th on that list with a turnover differential of plus 4. Guess who's first on the list with a turnover differential of plus 11? The Tennessee Titans. That, that is how they've made this work on their end, is they've limited turnovers, they've given the ball to Henry, and then Tannehill makes a throw or two, and, and they come out with, with wins. This is what I'm talking about with Marcus Peters. We need him healthy, we need him to make a play, 
the turnover difference in this game probably will have a 99% like chance of determining the outcome because the Ravens did not succeed in that in their postseason game. And the Titans are so good at it. They've been good at it this year. Again, the Ravens cannot fumble the ball. Lamar has to be conscious, cannot try to make a play on every single down and then get strip sacked from behind. He has to throw the ball away when necessary. He has to tuck it and get the two, three yards, which he has done very, very well the last few weeks. When it's not there, he's put the ball down and dived, dove forward for three or four yards. I get scared when he does that because I think he's going to get hurt, but he has avoided throwing it into triple coverage or trying to wait, wait, wait in the pocket. Dobbins, this is the game to not fumble. We've talked about it the last few weeks. Um, If they don't turn the ball over, I think the Ravens are in good position to win this game. They're going to stack the box, try to keep Henry to less than 150, and I think a win is there. This is not an impossible game for the Ravens. A win is there. I'll turn it back to you guys on uh, let's let's have more of a Lamar Jackson angle because obviously he's going to be the focal point of this game from the jump in terms of he has to make plays. Tim, how many plays does he have to make to, to win this game? I think you're looking at it the wrong way. I, I honestly think you're – because from what I remember and the, the, the narrative of when your team loses a playoff game, you don't watch sports media for about a week and a half because you can't take it anymore. Albeit, you know, Jace and I are very unfortunate that we work in it, so we have real, literally no choice. Hard to escape. Right, pretty much. Thank God I'm, I just com- cover a complete different sport most of the time. But the, the loss of the Chargers comes in the playoffs two years ago, and people are screaming to bring Flacco back in, which, you know, all praise John Harbaugh and his, and his infinite wisdom. He didn't do that, thank the Lord. Then Lamar goes on this run, 14-2, and two, and he almost feels like, and he's talking about it pregame, I have this chip on my shoulder. I know I have to do better. That game was inexcusable. I'm going to help my team. And he tried to force it. He can't force it. And, Antonio, you kind of made the point. I slightly disagree with you. I think against the Bengals, and look, the Bengals did nothing with it because they're the Bengals. I think he was holding on to that ball a lot. And he can get away with it more than most guys. You know, Almost in a Roethlisberger way early in his career where he could kind of shed tackles. Lamar can get away from people where he can kind of hold on to it a little more than your average quarterback. But I was almost a little skittish about how long he was holding it. And again, he turned it into plays. That's what you want. If he can make the play, make the play. He's a unicorn, yada, 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 everything we talked about. I hope he doesn't come in with the mindset that you just laid out there of how many plays do I have to make to win this game. And it's more of a... Where can I put my team in the best position? Is it throwing the ball? No, I, I know what you're saying, but like, I, but do you see what I mean? Of second and ten, maybe I, if I can't get those five yards, let me throw it out of bounds. I think I, 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 it, I agree with that. I just mean more when Tennessee stacks the box and the the uh, the running game is not there. He will have to like he will have to make some throws. They're not going to rush sure. for 400 yards. You know that's not going to be their all game for them. So that's all I mean. Like. When it gets to that, how many of those big throws does he have to connect on to well, win I mean, a, a big get the playoff the playoff game? You know, he's got, he's got to hit seventy five percent of them. Whatever whatever they are, whatever the the key moments are, and again, game situation changes that. But yeah, the throws and stuff. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you. But it comes on this fine line of you know, and he has to determine this for himself, being the leader of this team and the quarterback. When can I force it? When can I risk it just a little bit? 
or which we've seen a lot this year when am i forcing it and making a dumb play because those are going to come back to bite them against a team who plays exactly like them holds the ball for long periods of time dominates possession four or five yards at a clip on the ground you can't have any of that from lamar and look everything we've seen recently they're on a roll i you, you hear we haven't mentioned the whole, oh, they haven't played anybody argument, because I think it's ridiculous, because they can't control that. But let's just hope now it carries over when not only the intensity ramps up, because it is win, win and you're in or lose and you're out, but it's also the quality of opponent has gone up significantly from the last couple of weeks. I think that's just what I hate so much about this game specifically, is like... It feels like it a is, Super Bowl. It feels well, like yeah, a Super Bowl. Yeah, for this team, because it's, like, so... How many narratives... Especially, like, coming off last year's playoff game. I know we don't want to beat that into the ground, but it's going to be brought up so much. You thought the 2017 thing was bad when no. that bad Ravens team didn't make the playoffs? So just <laughs> wait until you hear about the last time these teams played in the playoffs. I And it'll just be such a referendum on Lamar Jackson's career and, <laughs> and everything. It stresses me out. Now, I do say... One positive, I think, is this game is on the road. And uh, I think despite, uh, for God knows what reason, the Ravens being favored by Vegas in this game, uh, I do think there is a lot less pressure outwardly on the Ravens this year. Because um, I think you have teams like the Bills, you know, Josh Allen's the new the new hot AFC quarterback, uh, uh, you know, MVP candidate Josh Allen and stuff, and bill's mafia is going crazy and rightfully so they haven't been this good in 25 years but uh there's like i feel like a team like buffalo has a lot more pressure the chiefs even and a team to repeat if they have pressure i don't think the ravens have a lot of pressure this year and i hope that that translates to the game and they don't think about the pressure and they're on the road and you know they because i think last year they clinched everything so early what they won the afc north and we 13 and they clinched home field in week what or week i did my math wrong week 16 i think and uh is when they sealed up home field so they weren't playing anything for basically three weeks versus this team basically been in playoff mode for a month now you know they win their last five games and as tim said not against not all the greatest opponents but i think the quality they've been playing with against those opponents matters a lot um because I, I think, as you said, you can only play who's in front of you. And they've played, I think, to the best of their abilities and the best they've looked in a really long time. And they've handled business. And obviously the Titans are a ramp up uh, in quality. But like you said, they lost to the Bengals. They nearly lost to the Texans just on Sunday. Um, so They always <laughs> play know. us They always play us like they're the freaking Chiefs, which just annoys me. Yes, the, and, the and they are a good way. team. Um, but I, I think, I certainly think the Ravens are equipped to handle it, you know. I think to your point last year, it's I think almost for Lamar, yeah, I think it is a, almost a mindset thing. Because, like, I think the plays will be there. He had 365 yards passing and over, uh, what was it, 150 yards rushing? 143 rushing yards in last year's playoff game. Uh, but it was the two picks, the fumble he had, you know, uh, the fourth down stops. It just undid them. And I think if they just, you know, you just focus on the execution uh, play by play and not think like, you know, just avoid the panic that I think we've seen this team run into in big games. 
maybe that helps. And I think maybe, you know, having to win down the stretch might help them entering this. I do say it's going to be hard. Derrick Henry's going to get his, but you just have to mitigate him as much as possible and try to limit your mistakes. I had forgotten Ryan Tannehill only threw 14 passes in last year's playoff game against the Ravens. Um, that can't happen. They that, that, that number has to be into the 30s, I think, uh, to have a real su- success. Um, and, and Tannehill's good. You know, he, uh, he hit 22 for 31 for 259 yards in the regular season game against the Ravens. But I still think you got to mitigate Henry as much as possible, focus on your own turnovers, and, you know, the chips will fall where they may. I don't think this Ravens team is perfect by any means. It's certainly worse than last year's team. I don't know if they'll win this game, but I think they certainly have a chance. And if they play their best, I think they can win. Uh, I love you, JC, bringing up the failed, like, short conversions, the fourth and ones. I wonder how Harbaugh will handle those when they come up in this game. I think an X factor may be J.K. Dobbins just because of how well he's played down the stretch, and he's one of the guys that was not on the team last year. He will have a big role, obviously. We will make our picks for that game at the end of this episode. I'm going to give my co-host another few minutes to just stew over this game. (laughs) We're going to turn to the gambling section now. We're going to go over, first of all, some of our preseason picks. There's a lot to go over from the preseason, so I'll, I'll leave it to you guys to pick what you want to talk about that you said uh, before the season started, and then we'll make some wild card picks. So I will go first. Um, I'm, you know, one of my prouder predictions, weirdly, is Browns going to the postseason. I had them at nine and seven, and and grabbing the last wild card spot. They ended up going eleven and five, and grabbing the last wild card spot. Is that right, or did they grab the second? Was that the Colts who ended up taking the the last wild card? Colts so are the, the last the, wild card, yeah. The Browns sneaking in with a wild card spot for the first time in, as, as, as Jace mentioned, 18 years. So I was pretty proud of that pick. Um, I will. <laughs> we uh, we each picked which seven teams would thought we thought would go to the postseason in each conference, and I only named six in the NFC. So that was one of my more forgettable moments. But um, did take Green Bay, New Orleans, and Seattle out of the NFC, and in the AFC. Got every team in the postseason with the exception of, gleefully, the New England Patriots, who did not go uh, and were instead replaced by the Tennessee Titans, who I tried to bury uh, for a variety of reasons, and they still ended up squeaking in. Uh, And by squeaking in, I mean winning the South. But Tennessee did end up taking that New England spot. For my uh, over-unders, I'll I'll sort of jump ahead here. All three of us took the Ravens at over 11.5. So close with that. Um, the Ravens winning 11 games, one more win. Obviously, that would have covered. But my other two over-unders for the season were Packers. All three of us loved the Packers at over 8.5. That was done by, I think, by November. Uh, that, that over was covered. And then I picked the Dolphins at over 6 wins. That also covered pretty early on, relatively early for a team that uh, only won five games last year and was in playoff contention. Won ten games this year, so I was pretty proud of my over/unders, AFC playoff teams, and the Browns making the making the postseason. So I'll, I'll turn to you guys now for uh, what you what you liked and, and maybe liked a bit less about your preseason picks. Yeah, just to go start with the over/unders. Yeah, uh, apparently I said, "quote Rogers will have a career year." I don't know if it was quite a career year, but it was damn close. He's about to win the MVP. Uh, Bears under eight is annoying because they went eight and eight and they're in the playoffs because the (laughs) NFC is terrible. 
I clearly didn't believe in the Colts because I went under nine and a half, Phil Rivers and everything. Uh, we'll get to Denver in a second. I had them in the over. Screw off, Drew Locke. That team has so much talent, and then Drew Locke just stinks. Um, and then the Browns under eight and a half because even though I got it wrong, I am very happy to report that I'm the only member of Pod Like a Raven who picked them to finish under 500 this season, and I will continue to do so for the rest of time, going at seven and nine. In terms of playoffs... I had Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Indy. I don't know why I have Indy in there, but then also hit the under. My predictions were all over the place at the start of the year. (laughs) KC, Buffalo, like you said, so happy Cam Newton never worked out uh, in New England. Screw them. He's out. And then I liked Denver in the playoffs. I don't know why. I thought Drew Locke was going to be way better than he was, and I love their weapons, and it just never worked out. And then for the NFC, it was a shambles. Uh, I had Sam Fran, Dallas, Philly, and Carolina as like that surprise weird team with Teddy Bridgewater. Those didn't work out, but I did have Green Bay, New Orleans, and Seattle like Antonio. Uh, similar to you, I did, uh, you guys, I get it. It's very clear, I think, from this program what uh, what conference our favorite football team plays in because I got all but one of the AFC uh, teams. I had uh, Ravens, Steelers, Bills, uh, Colts, Titans, and the Chiefs in the playoffs. Uh, the one team that missed, I did not pick the Browns, and the team I also had in place of them was the New England Patriots. So once again, um, glad to be wrong on that one. Uh, inversely, I only had three correct teams in the NFC, and it was the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Saints. So the th- three of the four division winners, but you know, uh, that's strike struck out on the Cowboys, the Eagles, uh, the Vikings, and the Niners. Uh, Niners, I still think, are a decent team, just undone by injuries. But the rest of those teams had absolute disasters of seasons. Uh, and then I actually nailed all my, uh, well, non-Ravens over-unders. I had the Saints over 10.5, and, and they won 12 games. Uh, I had, I was not a Drew Locke believer. I had the under on the Broncos, um, under 7.5, so that hit. And incredibly, I had the under on the Giants at 6.5. They went 6-10, and, and but had... Uh, had the Washington won and the Eagles not quit in that game, uh, or, uh, had the Eagles won and not quit against Washington, excuse me, uh, the Giants would have been the NFC East winners at 6-10, and 10, so the under would have hit and they also would have cashed on division winner, which the I... The odds, <laughs> yeah, the odds on that parlayed bet would have been a million to one? I, I don't yeah, know if you could even get that up. have happened much in history, I would guess. Um, um, the under, the win under, and the division win hitting, but, uh... So, um, yeah, not a Daniel Jones guy. Uh, I don't really fully believe in him. He turned the ball over too much and uh, did not expect him to still be in the mix. But, yeah, hit all the hit all my over-unders. So, good stuff. Uh, I, I don't know what I was locked in on it heading into the year, but I feel good about it, I guess, in hindsight. As for this coming weekend with the, <laughs> the wild card, so much crazy, harder, super <laughs> bizarre wild card weekend round, uh, I, I should say last week, Two wins, one push. I'm 27. Ended the regular season 27 and 15. That's a 64% win rate. I challenge you to find a 64% win rate elsewhere in the gambling world. But for the wild card round, I got all winners this week. So I hope you guys are paying attention. It's Steelers minus four. They, I that feels like a double digit win to me over the Browns. Tampa Bay minus eight. That also feels like a double-digit win, which it better be because it needs to be to cover. 
And I'm also doing a six and a half point tease on three games. I'm doubling down on that Tampa Bay game. I'm moving that down to uh, minus one and a half against Washington. I'm moving Buffalo's line down to point five against the Colts. That's just where they just have to beat the Colts. And then the New Orleans game, I'm moving from nine and a half to three. So it's Tampa Bay minus one and a half, Buffalo minus half, and the New Orleans minus three in a three-team teaser. And I'm going to save my Ravens pick. We'll do the Ravens picks at the end of the episode. So, uh, Tim, who do you have for this week's wild card picks? All right, I'm just going to do two. I had the Bills minus seven, but there's something about, like, a team that doesn't have a ton of a playoff experience, and they have a little bit. Rolling, 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 and then what happens when they get punched in the mouth the first time, which the Colts can certainly do. So that's just It just scares me a little bit. So I'm going to back off of that. Seattle minus four and a half at home to the Rams. I know McVay's a good coach. I know the Rams have talent. I know Ramsey owns Metcalf. I understand all this. But it's Russell Wilson versus Johnny Wolford. That's it. Seattle minus four and a half. Um, and then, yeah, give me Tampa minus eight against Washington. I'm sorry. Like, I brought up the whole, you know, half jokingly, half serious about get pressure on Brady, get pressure with four. But even with Mike Evans out, the other side of the ball is the problem. The The, the football team is not going to be able to score points. The Buccaneers can score points, although they are an undisciplined, badly coached football team. They can still score loads of points. Football team cannot. Give me Tampa minus eight. And yeah, I'll save my Ravens selection. Uh, I'm uh, on... With Antonio on the Steelers, minus four. I don't know. Uh, I was not. You you can't be winning in against Mason Rudolph and have that performance as the Browns and then go on the road versus the same team that's like, oh, now we're actually trying. Which <laughs> Jace, which of those two teams and head coaches do you think will better prepare for facing the same opponent back-to-back? Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, Mike Tomlin showed nothing and still almost won the game. So I like my chances of him with his actual quarterback uh, and uh, probably full game plan. I don't even know. They might have rested other people. But uh, I'm uh, I'm just going the opposite of Tim. No real reason. Uh, just a gut feeling that uh, Seahawks play weird games. Uh, it's been said by one Kevin Clark on Twitter that they've never played a normal game. Um and I think as big a disparity as Russell Wilson to John Wolford seems on paper, for reasons that aren't fully explainable, I think this game is going to be, you know, within the four, four and a half, three, uh, late, probably backdoor cover, something dumb. Weird things happen. The Seahawks, they you know, only just played a three-point game against the 49ers where they weren't trying, but they were because Russell Wilson played the whole time. Very strange. They haven't been scoring that much so yeah i'm just picking the the rams to cover the four and a half i do think the seahawks win but i don't know i just expect weirdness i have four total picks this week and i'm not touching that ram seahawks (laughs) game i have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in that all right tim let's go over the random raven we'll answer that and then our final uh our final minute each for this episode will be our our ravens playoff pick so can you give us the clues for the random raven one more time Oh, really saving that for the end. Yeah, let me pull this back up here. Five clues. Clue number one. This four-time Pro Bowler, three-time All-Pro, and two-time Super Bowl champion played for three teams in his career. He was drafted in the first round of the 1997 draft out of Clemson, but played for the Ravens from 2006 to 2010. He is one of the players Rex Ryan brought brought to the Jets from Baltimore. He spent one season in New York, 2010, 
before deciding to retire. And to clarify on that, he didn't join in Rex's first year, but his second as head coach of the New York Jets. Uh, number four, his best season with the Ravens was his first year where he registered 46 tackles, forced two fumbles, and had 13 sacks. He totaled 91 sacks in his career, a dominant player in his age. And clue number five, Cornell Brown, Rob Burnett, Zadarius Smith, and now Pernell McPhee are the only Ravens to wear the same number as this player. The number he wore with the team he's more famous for playing with was a different number. Antonio, you want to take a spin of this one? I think I have it. I, I feel pretty good about it because the two Super Bowls came with his first team, and they came in the late 90s. So I'm going to go with... Uh, one Trevor Price as the Denver Broncos stud who then just had a second career with the Ravens from 06 to 2010. That, that is, is correct. I believe it to be as well. Had a critical block in a game against the Tennessee Titans of all teams, I believe, uh, if I'm recalling correctly. So let's channel that this week. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the 91 sacks I would have never guessed for, for Trevor Price. So that's quite a... Quite a career for him. I wonder how well or how close he was to like Hall of Fame consideration because the the numbers look good with the Super Bowls and the sacks. But three time All Pro, yeah, three time All that's Pro crazy, as well. and a perfect random Raven right in the middle there in, t- in terms of knowledge uh, or I should say notoriety with the Raven. So for the listener, I hope you guys got that. And now as we close up here, it's time. It's picks time. It's uh, Redemption Week. In a strange 2020 season for the Ravens. Jace, I'll ask you to go first. What is your pick for Ravens-Titans minus three and a half? My pick is Titans plus three and a half. But the Baltimore Ravens win this football game. They will cover, they will win by three points on a Justin Tucker field goal in the final minute. That is my prediction. I just cannot... After having watched Ravens-Titans multiple times in the last few years, I cannot accept us being favored by, <laughs> by more than uh, one. I don't know. I I just, I am not comfortable with that pick um, uh, at three and a half. So I have to go with the Titans for gambling reasons. But against all odds, I do think the Ravens win this game somehow, some way. And uh, I'm just building myself up to be very disappointed. Uh on Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, boy. I... Against the Browns, I picked the Browns as sort of a reverse jinx. Took the Browns and the points. I took the Jags and the points. I took the Giants and the points. I took the Bengals and the points. And I'm taking the Titans and the points. And hopefully... They all have the same result, which means the Ravens win the football game. And I am nothing but superstitious. And mainly, this is the only reason, the only break. We just gave you an hour and a half of recap and breakdown, and the only thing I could end it with is I am way too superstitious when it comes to this football team. I keep picking against them. They keep beating me. Picking against them with the points, I should say. They keep beating me, so I'm doing it again. Tennessee plus three and a half. And we're talking about a team in the divisional round on Sunday. I'm taking the Ravens and I'm taking the points. If, yes, in my opinion, in my humble, optimistic, to the to the end, Ravens opinion, if the Ravens win this game, I think they end up winning 
by seven to ten points. If the, the the way for them to win means they are going to have success for the vast majority of this game, the Titans are going to be trailing for the majority of this game, and the Ravens will keep putting on points with the running game and just keep sort of extending the lead and stretching the lead and keeping the lead for the majority of this game. And the Titans come, you know, two possessions short, basically, of, of, of trying to make a closer game of it. I'm taking the Ravens by, like, let's say seven. So that means that the Ravens win the Ravens cover. I'm taking them minus three and a half. And we will be back next week to talk all about this game, to talk all about the other playoff postseason games. But I'm going to say it one more time to talk all about Redemption Weekend for the Baltimore Ravens and their playoff game. We hope you guys all watch it. We hope you guys are comfortable on the couch with, I don't know, gin and tonic, Jägermeister, six beer, some, something to just help you get through it. Because it is absolutely going to be a stressful but hopefully enjoyable weekend for all of us. For Tim Horsey and Jace Evans, thank you so much for listening to this episode and all of our episodes. I am Antonio Barbera for Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.